The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! everyone and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. It's a Monday night and every Monday night during the season we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Guardians and the Cincinnati Reds. And this week has been quite a week for both ball clubs. The Reds finally got off the schneid and got a win over the weekend. Meanwhile, the Guardians took two out of three against one of the top teams in the American League East the Toronto Blue Jays. And to sit back and talk with us about the Reds and the Guardians is, of course, our Reds expert, Blake Watson. Blake, how are you tonight? Oh, well, the Reds finally won a series, so I'm in pretty good shape, bud. <laughs> Not too bad for a team that's had their ups and downs, well, I guess mostly downs, during the first All three down. weeks. All downs for the Reds the first couple of weeks. Yeah. So what did they do this weekend other than score more runs that led to their wins? Scored more runs that led to their wins. <laughs> um, uh, and they got, you know, the welcome side of the Pittsburgh Pirates coming into Cincinnati, who, I mean, although they're way better than the Reds as far this year, still a putrid baseball team. So, um, yeah, they, you know, a little bit of a get-right weekend and, uh, you know, a rainout on Friday. It's, it's kind of like the scene during Bull Durham when everybody's struggling. They needed a rainout, and somebody turned on the hose for them on Friday night, and they got to got to take a break and then, you know, come back, get a game against the Pirates of the doubleheader on Saturday and then finish it off with a win yesterday. I mean, I'm, obviously, Blake, I mean, the old axiom is every team wins 50, they lose 50. It's what you do during the remaining 62 games that matters, but... You know, the Reds were not going to go 42 and 120 during the regular season. They're still not, no matter what they do. Um, but they've got to answer some questions, don't they? Yeah, I mean, that's there's a lot. There's obviously a lot more questions than answers, too. Um, anytime you're, you're, you know, Martin, in the, in the kind of season the Reds have started off with, five and 23 to start the year. And, you got a lot of questions on who's a part of the future of this of this ball club. The problem for the Reds is, you know, they're not very talented, and their talent has been hurt to boot. Um, you know, they've had, I think, as many guys on the IL as any team in baseball. And then you look at the guys they're missing right now, and just two names in Votto and India, two guys you expect to be big parts of this team. I guess Senzel's out again, too, so there's another one. Um, another guy you expect to be a big part of the team. Stevenson's missed a lot of time. Luis Castillo's yet to throw a pitch. Um, you know, these are these are not just necessarily run of the mill major league ball players. Other than probably Senzel, these are you know last year's rookie of the year, maybe the best offensive player in the history of the Reds organization, Joey Votto. Um, I said maybe. I'm not saying he is. I said you can make the argument. And then their their ace, their best starting pitcher, is also not throwing a pitch yet this season. So. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of questions to answer, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people talking about 
possibly sending Hunter Green back to AAA. And at this point, the season's, you know, the Reds are not going to compete for a playoff berth this year. So what, what's the point of Hunter Green going to AAA and dominating bad lineups? Stay up here, take your lumps, and figure out how to pitch to big leaguers. Um, that's one of the answers for my book. Um, yeah, I can also understand that you don't want him to get into that, you know, loser defeatist mentality and get used to getting kicked around. So I get that point of it, but you know, you, you learn more pitching to big leaguers than you do minor leaguers for sure. Um, and then they've got to figure out, you know, what the future is at shortstop when Jose Barrero is healthy. Is he, do you bring him up? Is do you take Kyle Farmer out? I don't think Mike Moustakas, Colin Brand, or Brandon Drury are the long-term answer at third. Although Brandon Drury's off to a good start. Um, in reality, I think there's only two spots you're real comfortable with if you're the Reds going into the future, and that's behind the plate and at second base. So it's a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, how long do they wait for Nick Senzo? I really don't know. At this point, you know, it would have been probably better to move him a couple of years ago. We talked about him being a possible deal for Lindor a couple of years ago, and um, you know, I was against that at the time, so I still had high, high hopes for Nick Senzel, but it doesn't seem like this guy's ever going to figure out a way to play a full big league season, at least through this, you know, front, front three and a half, four years of his career. He has yet to come close to that. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you, at some point the, the plug's going to be pulled on Nick Senzel as a part of the Reds' future. Um but the, the whole point is you got to have somebody else to play there if you're going to pull the plug on Nick Senzel. And I guess T.J. Friedel's kind of the guy right now. Um, but I don't think that's a long-term answer either. I've never been a really high, you know, high-level prospect in that organization. Um, I think, you know, T.J. Friedel, if you're, you know, playing with a really deep lineup and he's playing center field and expected to hit seventh or eighth, he's fine. He's a decent player. But at that point, you know, so is Nick Senzel in that spot. So I, I think that the answer is, you know, Nick Senzel's time as the center fielder for the Cincinnati Reds is probably coming short at this point. But you got to have someone else to put there if you're going to th- get rid of him or move him or, you know, pull the plug on that experiment. So and they don't have anybody else that I know of. You know, it's interesting. Terry Francona, during his years as manager, has never been a proponent of taking a player that is having problems at the plate and benching him for long periods of time. I mean, David Bell is kind of a proponent of what Terry Francona has done since he's been part of both the Reds and the Indians Guardians organization. And if you recall, what was it, a year or two, Blake, uh, he set Joey Votto for a few games and then brought Votto back in uh, lower down in the batting order to reduce the pressure on him. And that's when Joey started hitting and went on to a pretty good season. Fr- Francona is taking that same step towards Fran Mill Reyes. Reyes has had just a terrible start to the season. And what he did was he took him out of the lineup again for three or four days, just let him sit back, relax, collect his thoughts, brought him back in over the weekend against Toronto, batted him sixth, excuse me, instead of fourth, and Reyes started hitting the baseball all of a sudden. He hit a three-run homer in one game against Toronto, uh, picked up a couple of walks, which is unusual for Reyes because he's had a walk percentage of just 3.3% during the early part of the year. 
But that's always been Francona's modus operandi when a player is not playing well. Give them a short little time off and then bring them back in the order where they don't have a lot of pressure on them. And for him, it's always worked. And I don't understand why a lot of managers don't do that. They'll bring them back, put them in the same spot. But as I said, Bell did it a year or two ago with Vado. It worked. And Francona has done it for years with players. And Reyes is starting to hit the ball. And the Guardians need Francisco Reyes, or Fremel Reyes, excuse me, to hit the baseball if they're going to have any shot in this division this year, Blake. Oh, absolutely. If, if the Cleveland Guardians are going to be, be a competitive team and in the hunt at the end of the year, Fremel Reyes has got to hit. I mean, it's a team that doesn't have a ton of high-end, high-power guys up than, obviously, their Ramirez. So you need Fran Mill Reyes to be that other thumper in the middle of that lineup. And you're, you're talking about two guys. I remember Dusty Baker used to do it a lot, too. And that's another guy that, you know, they're kind of notoriously player managers. Um, players love playing for them. They're given, you know, plenty of leeway to, quote-unquote, hang themselves. Um, you know, they've got to really earn not being in the lineup if you're a guy that, that has proven that you're a big league caliber hitter. Um, and, and it works. I mean, it, you talked about it. It worked with Votto. Um, you know, it's the old, I love the old Dusty Baker quote, the you are who your baseball card says you are. And, and it's, you know, you just got to put those guys in the right position to be who their baseball card says they are. Fernando Reyes is, all those big physical guys are always streaky hitters. Um, there's just way too much that can go wrong in their swing physically. Little hitches and little, I don't know, hands can travel. Just you got to go so much farther to hit the baseball when you're that long. There's just more that can that can go wrong. So giving a guy a couple days off, let him work in the cage, let him work with the hitting coach. It's definitely something that I would do um, if I were managing a big league club. You know, another thing is I, I was talking last week about Richie Palacios. Um, Palacios for bringing, bringing him up for the Guardians during that doubleheader with the White Sox earlier in the season, keeping him on the roster for a little while. And he did an outstanding job. But because they've got some players coming back and the roster was cut back, Blake, they sent Palacios down. I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that they don't think that he can play. It's from the standpoint that He's got to learn to play the outfield. Um, Andres Jimenez has taken over the shortstop spot. We talked about that last week. Uh, he he taken it over from Ahmed Rosario. Rosario is going to start playing a little bit of the outfield. He's going to start playing a little bit at second base, maybe first base. Uh, he's going to be a utility man. But Jimenez has come in and hit the baseball and he's taken over that shortstop position, which I think is great because he's a natural shortstop. But that means Palacios, who's also a natural shortstop, has got to find a place to play. And they're sending him back down to Columbus, AAA, to learn how to play the outfield, which, tell you what, that might be, that might be the spot that he's going to get the opportunity to play the most. Yeah, I think uh, anytime a guy who's, who's not a... A plus offensive player can be a, a multi-positional guy is big. Um, a guy that could come up and get you a spot start spelling him in as it's short, can play corner outfield spots. 
I mean, you can think about him being up for seven days, playing four of the seven games at three different positions, um, give, spelling guys days off. Um, that, that is a valuable piece to, to a contending ball club, especially in, in today's, you know, mix and match baseball world. Um, I think you're right about Jimenez. I think he's the more natural shortstop of the, of the group, um, with Amad Rosario, but I think they still think Amad Rosario is probably the higher ceiling player. He might not be as good right now, but I think if, you know, he projects more, he's a little bigger, a little more physically gifted. Um, but that doesn't always equate to, you know, a productive baseball player, but he definitely looks the part. He's a little taller, a little longer. Um, so I, I wouldn't be shocked to see at some point a Mater Zario is playing shortstop again for Cleveland, but I think it's gonna it's it's gonna take some time. And like you said, Jimenez has went in there and kind of won the job, so it, it's his job right now. I don't think it's gonna be given back to Rosario, but I, I think he'll get another shot there at some point. Well, the Reds are gonna be uh, at home tonight at Great American Ballpark. They're gonna be entertaining Milwaukee, and the interesting thing about tonight's game. Blake, is that Luis Castillo is going to make his debut for the season. Uh, coming back, he was a little late getting back, had some arm tenderness, and they wanted to take their sweet old time bringing him back. It'll be interesting to see what he can do this evening against that tough Brewer lineup. Yeah, I mean, you know, Luis Castillo, A, it's not a terrible thing because he always starts really slow. Um, a lot of those Dominican pitchers do. Uh, especially, you know, we talked about this. We talked about this last year when he got off to that really rough start. As, as much as he throw, I mean, he's a 96, 97 guy. Luis Castillo really is a field pitcher. Um, not many guys that are field pitchers throw as hard as he do. But you know, when you're, he's a change up first guy. Um, and, and early in the year, when it's cold out, it's really tough to get that grip on that change up. So I kind of am okay with how slow they brought him along, especially because they're not competitive. And I think the goal is to get Luis Castillo eight to ten starts and find a new home for Luis Castillo. Um, that that would be my guess in the Reds' plan because you know he is under control, team control for this year next. Um, but you know I don't think anyone in their right mind believes the Reds are going to be contending this year or next. So it's probably time to move Castillo, get the best best package you can for him. Um, I could see him, you know, maybe ending up in like Philly or even the Mets or the Angels, um, a spot that they can bring him back after that second year of team control and keep him around for a while and then part of a competitive team. Um, but I think that's probably the end goal with Luis Castillo this year. I'm glad you told me that because I honestly hadn't even realized he was starting tonight. Yeah, he, he's he's on the mound, slated to be on for for the Reds, who are now five and twenty-three heading into tonight's game. Blake, they're three and a half games, or actually four and a half games behind uh, the Chicago Cubs. Unbelievably, the Pirates with that. I'm just going to say it. That crap lineup that they've got. They're in third place and actually in the midst of this thing, seven games behind the Brewers and just five and a half, or excuse me, four and a half behind the St. Louis Cardinals. But um, the Reds, five wins in 28 games, easily the major league worst. It's, it's unbelievable that the, Pir- the Pirates are in third. It's, I really thought that they'd be competing with the Reds for the bottom of that uh, division. Um 
Yeah, you're right. The lineup's not very good, but you know, sometimes uh, we we've seen it. You know, throughout baseball history, it's not always the name on the back of the jersey. It's what they do on the field. Um, and so far, the Pirates seem like an okay baseball team. I'm not going to call them decent or even good, um, but they're, they're they're okay. I mean, they they don't you know they don't give a lot away, and and you know they 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 compete, and that's a lot of times. All you expect to see or want to see out of a team that's built the way the Pirates are, and a lot of a lot of people in Major League Baseball are giving the credit to the Pirates' start this year to a guy that came to them as a free agent signee that really nobody really wanted, and Roberto Perez, the old Indians slash Guardians catcher, the the Guardians. Uh, let him go because they thought he was asking for too much money in regards to how many games he plays per year. There's no doubt Perez is an outstanding catcher. There's no doubt in my mind that he can handle the pitching staff, if not better than everybody in Major League, at least arguably better than any catcher in, in the Major Leagues. And you can just look back at his record with the, the Guardians pitching staff over the last few years. But he fell down to an injury, almost literally fell down, uh, on Saturday uh, in a pirate loss. But a lot of people are giving him credit, Blake. I'm not so sure. I mean, the coaching staffs on teams anymore are the ones that are calling the pitchers, calling the the pitches for the pitchers now. Um, It hadn't always been that way, but, you know, it it is now. I, I know a catcher has a lot to do with how... Uh, a pitching staff is handled, and like I said, Perez is is one of the best in baseball today. But I think you're giving a catcher a lot more credit than he is due. How do you feel about that? Uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think a good catcher, especially a veteran guy, can be a steadying influence on a club. But yeah, I don't think they handle near as much as they used to, unless their name's Yadier Molina when he's out there. Um, Salvador Perez, those kind of guys. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, but he is a veteran. He's a legitimate big league player. Um, you know, they also added Daniel Vogelback. He's a big, big time hitter at the DH spot. Um, I, I like Brian Reynolds a lot. I like Brian Hayes is going to be really good when he figures it out. Um, I, I think they've got some pieces for sure, but you're right about the catcher spot. It's not nearly as important as it used to be. That's for sure. Well, the Indians, uh, see, here I go again. The Guardians, I've got to get used to that. I mean, I've been 50 years an Indians fan, and I've got to get used to the Guardians in just two months. I, uh, that's not going to happen for anybody. They're 14 and 14, three and a half behind Minnesota in the Central Division, just a half game behind the White Sox. And guess what? <laughs> the Indians just happened to be, the Guardians just happened to be in Chicago tonight to take on the White Sox. And Zach Plezak will be on the mound for the Guardians in that game, and hopefully they can keep their offense going. You know, a couple things I want to bring up on tonight's show, Blake, uh, before we sign off. The first one is the Trevor Bauer suspension. Uh, two years for Trevor Bauer. Um, I want to get your thoughts about that before I go into what I think. Uh, I think Major League Baseball has overstepped a little bit. Um Hey, it's really a three-year suspension because he's already been suspended for a year, realistically, on the commissioner's exempt list. Yeah, you're right. If they came out and said two years 
counting the games he's already missed on the commissioner's exempt list. Okay, I, I can I can understand, and I mean I may not agree because you know legally, from what I understand, I'm not too up to date on the on the uh, on the case, but it, it sounds like there really isn't one at this point. Um, he's not going to be indicted. He's not going to jail. He might settle and pay some some uh, some you know some some settlement money in, in civil court. But I don't think he's going to be spending any time in jail on it. No, uh, you're right. And and you know I did see you know how it is on Twitter. Everybody's always got those little things. But somebody posted you know when it when the, the suspension came down. Oh, you can cheat to win a World Series, but you get accused of something and you're out for two years. And, and, I mean, I kind of agree with that sentiment that it's – I think they just overstep. I think it's a little bit ridiculous. It's a little too much. Um, he obviously, you know, the old, old detrimental to the program or detrimental to the team or detrimental league, you know, conduct detrimental, they used to call it when they suspend guys in college football and stuff. I get that, and, and it has been kind of a black eye on Major League Baseball for the last year or so. But I mean, the guy's already paid a year's worth of penance. Uh, I think it's I think it's enough, honestly. And the whole thing that it boils down is I know Trevor Bauer's an extremely talented guy. I'm not sure. I think a the Dodgers. I don't think they have yet, but we're we'll try to avoid his contract. Um, and I I'm not you're not sure if anybody's even going to try to sign the guy. So I, I don't understand taking away someone's ability to pursue their livelihood based on some allegations that the legal system has come to find out are kind of unfounded. All right, let me get started on this. First of all, I agree with you on almost everything that you've said. Um, I think Major League Baseball did this suspension the way that they did, knowing that the union is going to come back and appeal. They've already said they're going to do that. Bauer is going to appeal it. And I think this sets up just a natural uh, settlement between Major League Baseball and Bauer where they give him time served and he just sits out the remainder of this season. Um, it's just a natural negotiating ploy. Major League Baseball went for the higher, expecting the lower, and I think that's where you're at. Now, that being said, we are in a very litigious, you've got to be careful society. Um, nowadays, uh, I, I always watched, I loved the show Big Bang Theory, and Sheldon was constantly bringing up a contract on his phone, and in these day and ages, you've almost got to have a contract with anybody you deal with anymore, because you're liable to be sued for any reason whatsoever. My entire thought pattern goes back to whom I used to be a very big fan of in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. I no longer am. Why? Because they signed a jackass at quarterback that has been signed, that has been sued 22 times for sexual harassment. Now, I don't care if only one of these women wins a lawsuit. That's one too many, Blake. And as far as I'm concerned, Trevor Bauer, whether he did what he did or not, it was in the privacy of his own bedroom, and the woman, in my mind, the way I understand it, and somebody can prove me wrong, was okay with all of it up until she realized the guy had a contract for $250 million. Oh, that dollar sign. That's not 
to say she's doing it for that reason. I'm not saying that. But Deshaun Watson in the NFL, you watch. Major League Baseball gave Trevor Bauer a two-year suspension for something that he was not indicted for, won't go to court for, and is only being sued for. The NFL will not give more than a six-game suspension to Deshaun Watson for 22 of the same instances that Trevor Bauer has gone through with one. And you're going to see what happens probably before the first of the season, and that's why I want nothing to do with the Browns or really the NFL anymore because the NFL has turned into a patsy league that doesn't care a damn about women all they want is their money and come in and cheer your team and go home and shut up. That's my opinion of the NFL. That's my opinion of this Bauer situation. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong in any, way, in any way, shape, or form. I think I disagree a little bit on the, the one point about the, the NFL doesn't care about women. They do it because women women are not worth in the NFL at this point. Um yeah, they market a lot more to women now, but that's more about money than anything else. Exactly. Uh, I think, I mean, I agree with you. If Trevor Bauer was in a spot where it was 22 women accusing him of this, I would not in any way, shape, or form say the Major League Baseball offices, the commissioner's office, overstepped and then went too far. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison in a way, but it's an apples-to-oranges one for me. To me, Deshaun Watson, you know, again, he's not. He has been accused 22 times, but he has not been indicted. Um, that, that means, you know, there isn't enough legal evidence to support indicting him on a criminal charge. So does that mean he did it? Does that mean he didn't? No, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means there's not enough evidence to support that he did do it. Um, you know, he'll settle those out of court, out of you know what I mean, as well. So... I agree with you to an extent, but I just don't. The comparison's not exact for me. The, the you know the NFL has got a history of this, Blake. Um, it started with Ray Lewis, um, and, and that year that he was accused of murdering somebody. Um, it it started back then. Uh, it continued on. Um, with the Baltimore running back situation where he hit hit his wife in the elevator. Uh, it continued on with another situation where another Browns running back uh, hit a woman. It continued on with the Bengals running back hitting a woman in Oklahoma. Um, it went it continued on and on and on and and you could have you could have video of what's going on with that. You could have whatever it was that you wanted as far as the film and everything. And the NFL still does not take a stand on all of this, Blake. And that's the one thing that upsets me about the NFL. As a, I mean, Major League Baseball has suspended Pete Rose for a lifetime for placing bets. A lifetime. Won't let him in the Hall of Fame. None of this. I'm willing to bet, Blake, that if... Trevor Bauer comes back, and let's just say in two years. Let's just go ahead and say two years. And he becomes a pitcher that wins 20 games for five consecutive years, and the Dodgers win two or three more world championships with him as the ace of the staff. He'll be voted into the Hall of Fame and be welcomed with flying colors. But Pete Rose, who gambled 
isn't allowed in the Hall of Fame, there's something askew in Wonderland. Yeah, I mean, you can you can be uh, accused of you know abusing a woman or accused of taking steroids, and one of them is not as bad as the other. Um, I, I agree with the, the gambling thing, but you know, I think the more apt comparison is is the steroid guys because a lot of those early steroid guys are just accusations and assumptions. Um, there is no proof that you know Barry Bonds took steroids or Roger Clemens took steroids. There's people that say they did. There's no you know bad no tests. So it's a real similar you know he said she said kind of situation to what Bauer's dealing with. And those guys didn't lose time, but they did lose the ability to be Hall of Fame players. Um, so yeah, I mean I agree with you completely about the about the whole thing. You know, I want to move on to the umpiring situation. Kyle Schwarber, two weeks ago, threw an ultimate tirade. I loved it. In the Sunday night game uh, that Philly played Washington, and Angel Hernandez was behind the plate. Now, Angel for Hernandez, for years, has been the worst umpire in Major League Baseball. And only following closely uh, behind Joe West. Now, Joe West is gone. Matter of fact, did you hear Joe West is going to have a podcast on now? Oh, my God. Yeah. This is good. It's called 5460. Now, I heard Rich Eisen the other day talking about it on his radio show. His podcast is going to be 5460, which is the amount of games he umpired in Major League Baseball or the amount of times that he screwed up a call. <laughs> and I, I love that out of Rich Eisen. I'm going to give him credit for that because that was his... He was, I mean, but Joe West was one of those guys that, you know, hey, baseball had to put up with him for years. He's finally retired. He's gone. Okay, you're, you're in my rear view beer. Now, Angel Hernandez is out there, and Schwarber goes up to the home plate. You guys have got to see this video. I'm sure most of you have. He's talking about you're screwing them, you're screwing us. You, get, you call pitches outside, you call pitches inside, up, down. You have no strike zone whatsoever. And he's going nuts on Hernandez. And it just goes in one ear and out the other with Hernandez. And nothing sticks. I, this guy is the absolute worst, but yet because of the union, and I'm a union guy, don't get me wrong, but in this case, the union's just got to cut their, cut their losses and say, you know what, you're right, goodbye. Yeah, I mean, Angel Hernandez is atrocious. He is, you know, if you, you can be a union guy all you want, and the union can support him all they want, but at some point, he's bad for the union. The union has less credibility because of a person like Angel Hernandez being so bad at his job. Uh, the one that I want to talk about, and I don't, know, I don't know the guy's name, is the guy that was antagonizing Madison Bumgarner. Absolutely. Um, that, to me was some of the worst umpiring I've ever seen. Um, that guy was looking for a fight. That guy was looking for a reason to toss Mad Bum. And, and obviously Madison Bumgarner is a pretty high-strung dude, and, and he is not afraid to tell the umpires they suck if he thinks they suck. Um, but he wasn't talking to that umpire. He was having an issue with the guy at home plate calling balls and strikes. There was a, pitch, a couple pitches he thought he should have got that he didn't. And when you're a 13, 14, 15-year MLB vet, 
you should be allowed to have those conversations with umpires. Um, the, the problem for me with umpires, and this is at every level in every sport, is you can't even talk to them. Like, if you walked up to an umpire and wanted to have a man-to-man adult conversation, they won't even hear you out no matter who you are. And that bothers me tremendously because you're not above answering the bell for the calls you've made. I got to, you know, if I'm David Bell, I've got to go to the media after the game and talk about the decisions I made. Why don't the umpires have to go talk about the decisions they made? Why don't they have to answer to someone in a public forum for the calls that they make and the decisions that they make? Because if they did, I guarantee that some stuff would change and they'd be better. Um, but to go looking for a fight, looking for a reason to throw Madison Bumgarner out of a game and, and keeping a guy like Angel Hernandez employed, it's kind of a joke. Um, and then people talk a lot about um, NFL umpires or NFL referees because for the longest time it wasn't a full-time job, right? Right. And now it is. Um, and these guys don't have to do other things. But – you know, if, if it's going to be a full-time job, you better be good at it. And Major League Baseball always has been that, and they're just not good. Like, how are you that bad at your job? It's it's a case. You're right. And, you know, I, I'm i not going to name umpires. I'm not going to name leagues or anything. But my biggest pet peeve with umpires and officials in both basketball and football, Blake, is mechanically – being unsound. Period. Mechanically being unsound. It's very easy to umpire a game. And I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not joking here. It's very easy to umpire a baseball game. I've done it, been there, done that. It's simple. If you know the rules and pay attention. The moment you fall asleep on the field is the moment something's going to happen and that's where you screw up. Okay? Yeah. I completely agree with that. My two biggest pet thieves are the one that I talked about before, being unapproachable. And number two, and you and I have this conversation a lot, and again, we won't name leagues, we won't name sports, but umpires try to make themselves the show. Bingo. Uh, um, like, no one's there to see you, bud. It, it, at the highest levels, at the lowest levels, no one paid to see the umpire. And they're, in amateur sports... It bothers me even worse when they're that bad because there's only one person being paid to be there. Like if you go watch a you know a, a summer league baseball game at a 15U level, there's only one person out there getting paid, and he better be pretty good because everybody else is looking at you to do what's right based on the kids, the coaches, parents. Now, parents are a little ridiculous, and the problem with that is most of the time they don't know what the hell they're talking about. That's right. Um, so they should shut up too. But if a coach knows what they're talking about, or uh, you know, I, I I I fancy myself a bit of a rules guy. I know a lot about rules of sports. Um, if if I'm continuing to want to have a conversation with the referee, I'd probably know the rules as well as he do, if not better. So you should probably talk to me, even if I, you know, you can tell me I'm wrong. You can tell me, you know, you saw it a different way, and we can agree to disagree. But to to brush someone off and not talk to them. 
that bothers me tremendously. Absolutely. Dan Bellino was the umpire that, that held Madison Baumgartner's left hand and just stared him in the eye and sat there rubbing his hand for at least 30 seconds until Baumgartner looked up and saw that this guy was staring him straight in the eyes, and then he got a little freaked out by it, which I don't blame him. Another thing uh, Rich Eisen said about Joe West, and, and I want to bring this up before we shut down, is that Joe West... If he told you it was a strike, it took him anywhere from 8 to 10 seconds to at least raise his right hand halfway up to signal to the fans that it was a strike. And that happens a lot today, too. And that, that's one thing that does, that does bother me anyway and does bother me, too. Blake, I mean, it's going to be an interesting week for uh, the Reds and for the Guardians. As I said, Milwaukee's coming to town. They're in first place. The White Sox are hosting the Guardians. They're in second place. I mean, we're in this. We're a month into the season now, Blake. A month of a, of the six month season. It's it's flying by. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and and in all honesty, I love the Cincinnati Reds, and I thoroughly enjoy doing this with you. And I pay attention to them as best I can. I have not sat down and watched a baseball game since the opening series with the Atlanta Braves since. Mr. Well, a Reds baseball game. I've watched games, but not the Reds. Um, since Castellini made the comments he made, I have not watched a baseball game from start to finish. And that bothers me so bad. It's not because they're bad. It's because he just turned me off. Yeah. And, and it, it bothers me as a guy that's watched the Reds for soon to be 36 years. Um, you know, I've, I've watched games when they're terrible before. And... Now I just don't, and it doesn't affect my day one way, shape, or form. Well, we're going to talk about the Reds and the Guardians again next week. All right, buddy. Hopefully we're talking about six Reds wins. Yeah, and maybe six more uh, Guardian wins, too. So we'll talk to you again next week, Blake. All right, buddy. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Be sure to join us again next Monday night for another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, for Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.